12, verses 1 to 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Rebecca. Uh, Good to see you, everyone. Please keep that passage open uh, as we look at it. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord God, thank you that you have uh, created Scripture, that you speak to us uh, in the words of the Bible so that we might understand you, ourselves, and and your way of salvation through Jesus. But Lord, we recognize that we're distractible creatures. Our minds, our hearts often wander. Uh, We need your help. We can't do anything to please you without your help. So would you uh, guide uh, our minds so that we'd understand your word, Uh, we'd receive it as your truth, we'd seek to live it out. Help us, Lord, to see Jesus more clearly, uh, to love him more dearly, and to follow him more faithfully. We ask it in his name. Amen. Uh, A little while ago, my wife Megan bought, um, I suppose you could call it some instrument home, a product home uh, that she bought. Uh, This was it. And it wasn't immediately apparent to me what this was used for. Um, Does it punch holes in things? Is it a kind of stationery? Is it used on clothes? Um, Now, I can see probably some of you have guessed it uh, because you're much brighter. You know these things uh, compared to me. It removes seeds from olives and uh, cherries. Now, of course, there's a whole range of uh, kitchen utensils. Uh, Can you think about what this one is used for? It's apparently a condiment gun, you know, tomato sauce, mustard, that type of stuff. And what about this? Makes dumplings or this? Um, They're called chalks, apparently a cross between forks and chopsticks. And as you can probably imagine, all these kitchen utensils before were made by Americans for Americans. Now, when you know what a thing is, then you know what it is for, and that goes for all sorts of things in life. When you know what a thing is, you know what it is for. Now, what about us? Uh, What are our bodies for? Uh, When the Apostle Paul spoke to the Corinthians about an issue in their community, he said to them, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Um, Paul tells Christians what their bodies are for. Uh, our bodies are for the Lord, 
but the Lord is for our bodies. Uh, in other words, um, our bodies are not spiritually irrelevant. They matter. If you've become a Christian, your body is not for you to do with what you want. It's for the Lord's. Uh, it's meant to be used for Him, uh, for His purposes, oriented towards Him. Our purposes are found in service towards the Lord. Now, once we know what our bodies are for, we get a greater sense of who we are. Uh, now, today we're going to be thinking about the difference that the gospel makes to our bodies. Uh, and we're going to do that by looking at this very famous passage that Rebecca read just before for us in Romans 12. Uh, and to do that, we're going to see three things, uh, offering our bodies, transforming our bodies, and thirdly, our bodies within the body of Christ. Um, Paul says in verse 1, "'Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship.'" Uh, Paul tells us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Uh, now, this metaphor uh, that is being used is of a worshipper in the temple. In the Old Testament, uh, God's people brought to the temple their offerings. Uh, now, some of the offerings that were brought in the temple were sin offerings. Uh, you'd come with an animal, a bull, a goat, a lamb. You'd bring it before the priest at the altar. You'd put your hand on the head of that animal, and symbolically, your sins would transfer from you to that animal, and that animal would be sacrificed. Uh, its blood would be symbolically shed for your sins. But Paul can't be comparing our offering of our bodies to that kind of sin offering. Uh, it can't be because our bodies can't actually pay for our sins. Our bodies, it can't be, uh, we can't be offering our bodies as a kind of transaction with God. God, you did this for me, I did this for you. If I give my body for you, then you have to forgive me and, and, and let me into heaven and, and, and all of that. Why? Well, because of what Paul said at the very beginning of that sentence. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. The previous 11 chapters in the book of Romans has all been about the history of humanity and how God has intervened through His Son, Jesus, to bring us forgiveness through His death on the cross. That's what it means in view of God's mercy. It's because of God's mercy through Jesus that we can be forgiven. That means when Paul tells us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, he must be talking about some other kind of offering. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, the people weren't just commanded to bring sin offerings uh, to the temple, they were also commanded to make whole burnt offerings. Uh, that means that they'd bring uh, a, a valuable animal from their flock, an animal without blemish or defects, and such an animal was expensive. In other words, you had to bring your best, uh, not your leftovers. Uh, it was a way of showing complete devotion towards God's, uh, there were, you, that you were at God's complete disposal. Everything that you had was, was for God, and you were thankful for everything that you had. You, weren't, you, were, you were trusting Him to provide what you needed. So when you provided for your best, in other words, you weren't holding back. You knew that God would provide whatever you needed. Now, 
when Paul says to us, offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, he's telling us to offer our best towards God. Uh, He's telling us it's not okay for us to hold back from God, to say to him, God, I'll obey you in this part of my life, but not in this part. Uh, This part is just for me. You can be in charge there, but I'm in charge here. You can have this, but you can't have that. But notice also that there is a paradox in what Paul has said. How can you have a living sacrifice? Uh, In the Old Testament, once you sacrifice something, it stayed dead. Uh, It was not living anymore. When you offered your sacrifice, you brought your animal, the bull, the lamb, the goat, whatever it was, your grain, once you brought the sacrifice, it was over. A dead bull cannot crawl off the altar. And so, what is a living sacrifice? Uh, Well, a living sacrifice is is never over. It keeps on going. You see, um, Old Testament sacrifices were actually not a problem. You killed it, and that was it. You burned it, and it was over. Your obligation was done. But a living sacrifice is every day, every hour, every moment. It's, it's, it's ongoing. It's all the time, very deliberately, constantly, continually, you offer yourself to Him. And that's, that's it. It's constant. It's intense. It's never over. That means when Paul is asking us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, it's something different. It's entirely different to the Old Testament understanding of sacrifices because this sacrifice is never over. And it's entirely different as well from the modern conception of religion and morality and spirituality. This sacrifice that we're offering is all of life. And, you know, modern people, we, we, we want to stay in control. Uh, we want to have a choice about what we're going to sacrifice to God, what we're going to give to God. But Paul's saying the Christian life means to put to death your right to live as you choose, to put to death the idea that you belong to yourself, to put to death the idea that you know best what should happen in your life, to put that to death and to give it to God. But it feels like a death to say to God, God, I'm going to trust you in this area even though I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, You know best. Um, You say in your Bible uh, for me to do this. I I don't always like following what it says in your word, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do, do it. Because if you're God, it means you call the shots, not me. But notice as well, Paul says this, that this sacrifice is holy and pleasing to God, it is your true and proper worship. Um, That word there used for proper is often translated as reasonable. In other words, this kind of sacrifice makes sense. Uh, It's reasonable, it's rational. Offering your body as a living sacrifice towards God and saying to God, here I am, use me, that actually makes logical sense. Why? Well, we're all going to offer our bodies to something, right? We're we're all going to live 
our lives for something. Our lives will be orientated towards what we think is some great cause in life, whether it's your career success, um, your family flourishing, some, some great achievement, um, building the right lifestyle, whatever it is. We're going to live our lives in worship of something, and that which we worship, ultimately, that's what we serve. That, that has become our master. And we think about it all the time. So again, your, your, your job, um, your reputation, your family, may, maybe it's your health, um, all of these things, we'll, we'll serve them, but the thing is about all these things, they can't forgive you. Uh, th- th- they cannot bear the whole weight of all your expectations and hopes in life because they're not God. They cannot die for you, they cannot forgive you, they cannot give you eternal life. As great as they might be, They can't bear the weight of all your hopes and expectations in this life. They can't give to you what only Jesus can. And therefore, it's proper, it's reasonable to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to Jesus because we're going to offer ourselves to something or someone and only Jesus can carry the burdens of all our hopes and expectations in life. He gave His life for yours. And he's the one in all the universe that's, that's most worthy of our worship. Paul tells us to offer our bodies, but he also tells us to transform our bodies. Uh, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Uh, notice that Paul is giving us two contrasting patterns of life. There's the pattern of this world and there is the pattern of God's will. He contrasts them because they are different. We have a choice. We can't live according to both at the same time. Paul tells us to recognise and reject the pattern of this world and the thinking and behaving of this world and to embrace the will of God in our character and habits, in our choices and in our priorities. Inevitably, that means our bodies need to be transformed. Now, the the word here for transformed in Greek is the word metamorpho, uh, which is where we get that sense of metamorphosis, change, outward change. It's a change in our habits, a change in our lifestyle. But we always know that a change on the outside doesn't actually happen effectively without a change on the inside. That's why Paul says we have to begin with transforming the renewing of our minds, how we think about Jesus, how we think about life, uh, very much matters. Now, I just want to pause here and say it's actually very easy for us to say, uh, Jesus, I want to be transformed. Um, I want to give my body, my life, everything to you. It's actually very easy to say that because it's wonderfully non-specific. Um, it's easy for us to do it because we're actually not listing all the things in our lives that, that do need to change. Um, we, we can say manana, you know, afterwards, we'll, we'll get to that later. It can be an empty platitude that actually leads to very little meaningful change. In Romans 6, uh, Paul says... Uh, to offer God transformed bodies, he says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him 
as an instrument of righteousness. Paul is saying this, sin is no longer to reign in your bodies. It once did, but now we belong to Jesus. Uh, now, since Jesus is our ruler, there is a transfer of ownership that has happened. Uh, the parts of your body are not supposed to be used anymore for sin's agenda, but for God's agenda. Paul is saying we get to offer the different parts of our body to God as our spiritual act of worship. Now, think for a moment what this might look like. Um, we offer our ears to God. Uh, that means, you know, there, there are all these voices in, in our lives competing for our attention. You know, social media, uh, news feeds, uh, your boss, your family, your friends, your connections. Um, we need God's help to say, God, help me to listen to your voice first and foremost in our li my life. So I offer my ears to God, but I also offer my eyes to God. We need to ask God to help us to see the world as He sees the world. In Mark chapter 6, we're told that Jesus saw a crowd coming before them, and Mark tells us when He saw the crowd, He had compassion upon them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, normally when I'm walking down near my house, Nathan Road, or uh, walking through a shopping mall, and I see crowds... I don't default to compassion, I default to irritation. You know, I don't see the world, I don't see crowds the way Jesus does. I need to see them the way Jesus does. We offer our eyes to God, we offer our feet to God, saying, for instance, God, where, where do you want me to serve you? It could be just in, in very short-term span, uh, God... Show me who I can serve this afternoon. Is there someone I can go to lunch with? Is there someone I can call up and, and check in and see how they are? It could be a, a, a more long-term thing. God, show me how you want me to serve you in the next 10 years of my life. Because if we don't ask that question of God, if we don't remind ourselves to ask that question, we'll just go on the production line that everybody else does with the same priorities that everybody else does. God, show me how to use my feet. God, show me how to use my hands. Uh, what are you going to do with your work? We say things like, God, show me the opportunities I have to serve you in work today. Not just in doing my job well, because that honours you, but in people that I can speak to, people that I can serve in my workplace. How can I use the gifts that you have given me to, to serve the community around me? Now, these were questions that the early Christians asked. Uh, in a world that was hostile to Jesus, they recognised that the gospel changed everything. It affected everything in life, including how they use the commodities of this world, the things that this world values like money and power and sex. The ancient world looked at money, for instance, as being sacred, whereas sex wasn't. Money was the thing that you were supposed to guard and not give away. Sex was transactional, give it away as much as you want. But the early Christians knew that God had the exact opposite view. Money wasn't sacred, sex is. You give your money away, you're generous with your money because it's not yours, it comes from God, but sex is a gift from God to be cherished within the right context of a relationship between a husband and wife. Now, the, the Christians knew they had to live differently in the world and people noticed. People sat up and noticed. 
And we get a picture of this in the epistle to Diognetus written in the second century AD. Uh, Writing about Christians, the author said, they live in their own countries, but only as aliens. They participate in everything as citizens and endure everything as foreigners. They marry like everyone else and have children, but they do not expose them. That means they do not put their unwanted babies out into the open field so they can die. They do not expose their offspring. They share their food, but not their wives. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They are in need of everything, yet they abound in everything. Here was a radically different community, and people sat up and took notice. Is it the same with Christians today? Third point, notice that as soon as Paul tells us to offer transformed bodies, he starts to speak about the body of Christ. Verse 4, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Paul's saying that our bodies are transformed in the context of the spiritual body of Christ. In other words, transformation doesn't happen in isolation. Uh, Individual transformation happens in the context of a community of transformation. Paul uh, compares a Christian community to a human body. Uh, A human body has different parts, and and none of the parts can function properly without being intimately attached to the other parts. So we have hands and feet, hearts and lungs, and they're they're all interdependent, dependent on one another for healthy functioning. And so it is with Christians. Um, We need to be deeply connected with one another if we're going to grow and thrive in our faith. Now, sometimes um, Christians say to themselves, okay, how can I help? And, you know, how, how, can, how can I help other people grow and thrive as Christians? You know, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a great Christian. I don't, I, don't, I don't have very much. What can I offer? What difference can I make to the people around me? Look what Paul says. He says, we all have different gifts according to the grace God has given to each of us. We all have different gifts, which means what? Well, it means, on the other hand, yes, you do have a gift. You might not be able to spot it so easily, but you do have a gift. Paul says that God has given each of us a gift. No one is left out. And very often we discover our gifts simply through getting involved, through seeing a need, having our eyes open through getting our hands dirty and, and getting involved, you might discover as you get involved with different things, you, you really have strong capabilities in doing things in particular areas. Paul says the way we grow and thrive as Christians is you serve and you use your gifts to help others grow and thrive as Christians. There's an incredible mutuality about this. That's on the one hand, but then on the other, it means there should be no passive Christians. Uh, There should be nobody who just comes to church in order to get inspiration and information and then just leave, Um, and then leave and and, and live our life according to our own agenda. That's that's not the Christian life. That's just consumerism. And so let me ask you a question, you know, because I only come here every now and again, and I can ask this question, and it seems blunt, and then I can go. Um, How well are you connected here? 
You know, it's, it's, it's great that you come on a Sunday. That's vital. But are you also connected with a small community of people? Because community is much better in circles than it is in rows. Small groups of people where you can go to depth, where you can learn from the Bible, you can, you can figure out its application in your lives, you can pray for, uh, support one another, provide physical care for one another, confess with one another. Uh, these things don't happen by accident. They, they need to happen intentionally by you getting plugged into a small community of people. Um, and let me just say, are, are you serving using your gifts? Uh, because all of us have gifts that we need, to, we, we grow through using our gifts, through being pushed out of our comfort zone. Yes, life in Hong Kong here is busy, you know, and we've all got different obligations and responsibilities. Uh, my wife often says to me, you always make room for dessert. You know, you always make room for the things that you want to make room for. Um, and what we make room for is seen on our schedule. Our priorities are seen on our schedule. Sometimes getting involved in Christian community, doing all those types of things, takes time out of your schedule. But that's how God grows you. That's how he matures you. It is not wasted time. The connection between individual transformation and spiritual community is no accident uh, because we're always formed by the community that we're most connected with. Uh, remember, Paul sets up a contrast between two patterns, the pattern of this world and the pattern of God's will, um, the pattern of a community that is set against God and the pattern of a community that is shaped by God's. You are going to be formed strongly by one community or the other. You are going to be discipled strongly by one community or the other. Because make no mistake, we're always being discipled by this world's. All you have to do is spend, you know, five minutes on your phone, looking at your news feeds, your emails, your, your uh, streaming platforms, your, your, your Insta, all of that type of stuff, your social media, and you are getting disciples. You might not realise it, but it's happening all the time. You're being shown a vision of a good life by this world that is set against God. You are being shown what to prioritise, what to think, how to behave in this world. You are always going to conform to a pattern and it's not always going to be the pattern of God's will. So realise that you're going to be discipled somehow. Are you being discipled by God's people, by a Christian community in which you're being transformed? Uh, one of the series that I watch um, every couple of years or so, and I notice it's just been put on Netflix again, is uh, Band of Brothers. Um, some of you might have seen it before. Uh, it's pretty intense and brutal and often very uncomfortable and confronting. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's basically about a group of American paratroopers in World War II. They're called Easy Company, and they get parachuted into uh, World War II France. I like the show because apart from being about service and, and brotherhood and bravery. It's also about formation. Uh, it's the story of a group of ordinary men who volunteer for a cause, and they train, and they get transformed, and they get this collective identity. They, they, they turn from being ordinary men into easy company, and that shapes their whole lives. And in one of the episodes, uh, Easy Company is, to, is put in a forest in Bastogne, in, 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 in Belgium. And it's during the Battle of the Bulge, the Germans on the offensive, it's winter, it's horrible conditions, and the odds are stacked against them. 
And as Easy Company is put into Bastogne, an American commander says, you know, the Germans are coming and you're going to be surrounded. And the commander, the, the, the leader of Easy Company, uh, Major Winters, says, we're paratroopers, we're, we're supposed to be surrounded. Here is a group of volunteers um, who are transformed into a community of people who are on mission together. And if you're a Christian, you're in the same situation. I mean, I could get you right now to look around at this ordinary group of people around you, to look at one another's faces. You are a group of people who, for this particular moment in life, this season, while you're in Hong Kong at Sha Tin, you're being brought together, called together, to have a common identity as God's people, to assist one another in your own personal spiritual transformation as you declare the glories of Christ to the communities around you that are going to their judgment without knowing Jesus. The first time I um, read Romans 12, 1 to 2 was when I was 16. Um, I was not a Christian at the time. Uh, My older brother wrote uh, this verse and put it on a piece of paper and put it up on his wall. He became a Christian a few years before I did. Um, I can still remember that piece of paper now. I can remember my brother's handwriting. Um, I can remember my lack of comprehension at what those words meant. But a few years later, uh, when God put his spirit into my heart and caused me to believe in the gospel of his son, Jesus... I took that piece of paper off my brother's wall and I put it onto my wall. You know, I didn't come from a Christian family. I didn't know what it looked like not to be conformed to this world. I didn't know uh, what it looked like to make career choices and lifestyle habits through the lens of the gospel. I didn't know what it looked like to be a Christian father and a Christian husband. But God, through his mercy and goodness, put people in my life, put me in communities where I could be transformed. These things don't happen by accident. We need to be intentional with the resources that God gives us, with the people, the communities that God immerses us in so that we can be transformed for His glory. Paul said to the Corinthians, you are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honour God with your bodies. Jesus offered his own body for you. His body was broken on the cross so that we could receive transformed bodies, eternal bodies, glorified bodies, way into the future. And he looks at you and delights in you. He has no buyer's remorse when he looks at you. And so offer yourselves to him your whole life. Don't hold anything back. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord God, we do thank you for this incredible passage uh, where, where Paul gives us a picture of what the Christian life looks like, a Christian life shaped and transformed by you, for you, a, a life of true meaning and purpose and everlasting significance. I thank you for your great mercy showered upon us in Jesus, that you have caused us to believe in his gospel. Thank you that by your spirit you're transforming us moment by moment. And thank you 
that you do transform us in the context of a community of people who are also being transformed. I thank you for this community at Sha Tin. Uh, thank you for, for all those who have been part of this community over the years, and we pray that you might continue to guide and transform and lead this community in the love and knowledge of Jesus. Help us, Lord, uh, to be intentional in offering our bodies, in not only uh, learning more and more and having our minds renewed, but using the time, the talents, the treasures that you've given us uh, for your glory and for the mutual care and flourishing of one another. Uh, We need your help, Lord, by your Spirit to be the community that you want us to be. So guide us, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.